to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, Agco Automotive. Got Mr. Brian Terry right here by my side. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And if you add the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Sure wish you would. We always appreciate hearing folks all around the country and all around town. Even all around the world with the well, right you, code. Wherever you may be. <laughs> That's right. You just give us a call and try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Of course, last week was a recorded show, right. so we didn't get to have a topic or anything. But the week prior to that, we were talking about used cars and buying a used car. And we, Correct didn't really get a chance to get into that very deeply right so i thought we would talk today kind of cover it today yeah i'll try to get back to that sounds great but first we're gonna go to our phone lines we've got kevin online good morning kevin good morning guys how you doing today doing great sir doing good just had dad's corvette out for a drive they're on vacation for the winter down in florida so okay figured i would take that out and play around a little bit this morning keep the batteries charged there you go dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 2009 corvette and didn't wreck it or anything. I am an adult now, but I have noticed that the parking brake, whenever you set that, it does not put very much pressure on the wheels. And I understand that these newer cars aren't really made to hold right. the weight of the vehicle like they used to. But I was watching some YouTube videos, and it looks like there's a almost like a ring for the parking brake assembly itself. It's mm-hmm. separate from the regular parking brake, like on my Volkswagen. It's not the same unit. Is that correct? Yeah, most and of those are going to have. Yeah, most of those have calipers in the rear, and they've got like a little C-shaped parking shoe, and it just spreads out and inside the rotor. Inside has. the rotor, the rotor has like a little drum made in it, and GMs okay. use that pretty much across the board right. for a number of years. It will hold the car if it's sitting still and keep it from rolling off or something like that. But it's not really robust like back when you had leading trailing brakes and something applied, those big old brake shoes. Right. You oh, could almost okay. stop the car with those. But Even, the ones yeah. today, you, like Lewis was saying, they're, they're just barely good enough to hold the car They'll hold the rolling. car in place, keep it from rolling off. But right. beyond that, okay. they're not going to do a whole, whole lot. But most of them do not have an adjustment, per se, on that parking shoe itself some of them you can adjust the cable to make your pedal a little bit higher some of them you can't i'm not sure on a corvette we don't work on a whole lot of them but some of them have a, sure. a, a ratchet wheel adjuster inside that you can kind of spread the shoes out and take the initial adjustment out and then okay. there's an adjustment in the a little bit of adjustment in the cable mm-hmm. okay yeah that's what i was wondering because it is a manual and so i do leave it in gear but I know a lot of times these parking brakes, it's one of those things, if you don't use it, whenever you do decide to use it, you might lock things up or a cable will break, whatever. But it seemed kind of interesting to me that the way it was, if you're on any incline at all, it would not hold (laughs) even if you pull it all the way up, and I just didn't like that. That's the bad thing about that car is it's so hard to work on without a lift because it's so low, you really can't drive it up on ramp. That's right. And And even getting it on a lift is uh, kind uh, of a pain. you got to be very careful where you lift it up because you can damage the body. It's it's only got two points on either side that you can lift it. And some of those actually had an adapter you had to to locate in the hole in the frame to put the lift under (laughs) yeah well i guess that's the price of luxury (laughs) i I guess (laughs) hey guys thank you so much you have a wonderful all right kevin thanks bye-bye all right right, 291-6901 is our number and we're going back to phone lines with al good morning al good morning man yes sir i have a question here but 95 Cadillac, mm-hmm. about a week ago it started. When I'd turn the key on, I'd get this loud ticking sound from under the hood. By the time I'd get out in there, it had stopped. It sounded like a fuel pump deal, but it's definitely up front. And I can't figure it runs all right. I'm afraid to go anywhere if I don't get stranded. But you got any idea what that could be? 
Boy, a lot of times, Al, that'll be the air pump on the rear of the car. It's got rear air suspension, uh-huh. and that air pump will make that kind of a noise. Under the hood? Yes, the air pump is down in the front, kind of think front of the motor. Yeah, back around the battery somewhere, if I'm not mistaken. It'll be on one side or the other towards the front, up almost to the radiator. And it's just a pump and pop, 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 pop. And if, like, the rear air shocks are leaking, what it may do is that it's trying to raise the back of the car up and it's just going to run. And after it runs a certain amount of time, it'll time out if it can't get the car to a certain height. Or it may eventually get the car to the right height. It's not quite like the old Lincolns were. With the Lincoln, you had airbags on the rear, and that was the sole means of support in the rear. So when the bags start to leak, the pump would run continuously and burn the pump up. Well, on the Cadillac, it's got springs back there, and the pump is an assist. When the car goes down slightly, it comes on and assists the springs. So it's a little different setup. But as the car gets older, those springs will tend to sag a little bit, so it tends to run more. And if the rear shocks start to leak on it, what's going to happen is that pump is going to come on and make noise like that. Now, another thing that happens, the pump is sitting on four little rubber cushions, and those cushions will deteriorate over time and just fall out, and the pump's sitting directly on the body, and you'll really hear it. You may have always made the noise, you just couldn't hear it because it was sitting on rubber cushions. And one or more of the cushions may have fallen out. Now, that is the most common thing, certainly not the only thing. But as soon as you turn the key on, that's going to start running, and it's going to run for X amount of seconds, and then it'll cut off. That's kind of what it sounds like to me. Yeah, okay. What's the, what's the remedy? And what's well, the, the fix is going to be dependent to determine what the problem is. If there's a leak, you're going to have to repair the leak, be it a crack line or a bad rear shock. If it's just the rubber cushions are missing, sometimes you can still get those cushions, sometimes not. In cases when you can't, sometimes you can fabricate something else out of a piece of rubber and put it on to insulate it from the body. So the fix is just going to depend. If the pump itself is bad and just making excessive noise, then you change the pump. So And a lot of those pumps come with new cushions. Yeah, the fix is just going to be depending Figuring on what the problem on. is. Most time it's a leak somewhere in the system, and the pump's just running a whole lot more than it should. What's the problem of running it like that? It'll burn the pump up. And what's the problem if the pump burns up? On you that car, it's really not a great deal of a problem. You won't have any lift. You won't have any lift you load, in the rear. If you load the rear down, uh-huh. you won't have any lift to level it back right. out. You, throw, you may get some tire wear because the, throw the four height five has cases in the back. Right. It's going it's to squat in the rear because they use a kind of weak spring to make it ride good, and they depend on this air system to keep it level. You know, It's not like the Lincoln where that was the, the rear height. On Lincoln, the whole back of the car dropped to the ground. Right, because it's just drive bag. But so I don't need to worry about getting stranded. No, no, I it's not going to strand you now. What if you, that is the problem? Yeah, yeah, what I would do is probably just get it checked to make sure that is the problem uh-huh. and just have the shop unplug the pump if you want it. Sure. And that would preserve what you got in case you ever do want to put it back together. You hadn't uh-huh. burned up more than you needed to. Okay, I appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. All right, Thank Al, you. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Let's take a few more of these phone calls while we got the lines all hot. We've got Margaret on the line. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning. How are you? Doing great, ma'am. Doing good. Great. I have a question. I have a 94 Chevrolet truck, mm-hmm. and when I drive the truck and get ready to back it up, it backfires real loud, like I hit up something. So I jumped out the car to look. And in the truck, and it didn't do that anymore. But only when I'm driving, I have no problem. So only when, when you back it up. Only when you're backing up. Right. Loud, loud sound. I'm not real uh, sure what that could be, Margaret. I mean, does the truck sit up a lot? No, we use we it every day. It. Not every day, yeah. but most of the time I drive it. But it hadn't did in about. 
three months. Yeah, man, something that intermittent, I don't know that you're going to be able to really find it. Is it possible something was stuck under the truck or caught under the truck? Nothing was stuck on the truck. The only thing that kind of comes to my mind, if it sat for a while and the rear brakes were stuck on it, because the rear shoes and drums and all in our high humidity weather can sit and they can kind of rust up and bind like that. And when you back up, they're going to release and make a loud pop. And then once you use them a few times, it's going to wipe all that out of there and it may not do it again. You know, it's possible it could be something like that. I mean, the only other thing I can think of possibly if the drive shaft was stuck in the transmission, like when you pulled up, you, when you stopped the drive shaft plunged forward and stuck and then it popped back when you put it in reverse. I mean, it would just be impossible to say without seeing it. Even if you see it, unless it does it, you know, you're just not going to really hardly be able to find that. Guess the only thing I would just kind of keep an eye on, see if it does it again. I mean, if it did it once three months ago, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. It doesn't sound like a real major problem. Anything that was major that was going to hurt anything, it, it would be doing it a lot more consistently than that. So I need to continue driving. Yeah, I would just drive it and kind of see if it happens again. And if it does, if you can kind of get a handle on what it was. And there's, okay, it happened after it sat for a week or it happened after I did this or it happened after I did that or the weather was extremely cold or whatever. It was raining every day before it happened. You know, anything like that that you could make a note of might help you get to what's causing it. But, I mean, if something that intermittent, if it hadn't done it again, if it were anything that were really serious, I think it would have done it again by now. Right, right, okay. All right. Thank you for the information. All righty, ma'am. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number, and we've got Greg online. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Yes, sir. I guess about a week or so ago, I emailed you about a intermittent blinker issue with my Camry flashing fast intermittently. And I went through the hole, changed the bulb, and all that. He replied back that he would have to go through and just kind of try to trace. And yeah, it's going to be an open circuit control. somewhere. You know. Right. People think of a burned bulb causing that, and certainly it does, but a burned bulb causes that because it's an open circuit. So and if you got a bad connection, anywhere in the car is going to do the same thing. If you got a broken wire, anywhere in the car is going to do the same thing. So it's just an open circuit somewhere. Right. You'd have to see the car to find that. Right. We could sit here right. and guess for two weeks on possible right. things it could be. Sure. But until my you... issue, the bulb was, wasn't burnt. I replaced it anyway. Mm-hmm. Know, just thought I might get lucky. But... My question is, and I, and I know you can't, obviously you can't give an exact idea of time without looking at it, but in your experience, about, can you give me an idea of how much time, detective-wise, that I might have to invest in you guys trying to track that down? Uh, man, there's just absolutely no way to say, Greg. If something you might find in five minutes, it might take an hour. I mean, it'd be less than an hour, you know. Okay, okay. Well, that's good. That gives me hope. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's doing it, you yeah, know, it's not going to be a problem. Yeah. Now, if it's not doing it, you, know, you can circuit. test it all day long, and it's just going to say it's good. Right. You know, it's oh, zero it's or one. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it'll do it. It's, it's to a point now to where probably 65 times out of 70, it flashes, and when it actually flashes normal, I'm shocked. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that... And, and, it, and I don't want to give, you know, I don't want I like to use my blinkers. So yeah, Greg, it does it in both directions or only in one direction? Just on the left. Yeah, okay. so it's going to be something in the left circuit. And, I mean, yeah, right. that shouldn't be too too terribly difficult to find. It could be a bad connection somewhere. I mean, I know there's a there's a socket on the right-hand side of a Camry 
that controls the left side also. I think the power comes down the right side and goes over to the left from the right side. Okay. And I know that little socket can cause that on the left side, even though it's on the right. Well, I'm going to make an appointment then. I'll come see you. I appreciate it. Okay, Greg. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to part of the automotive hour, we would absolutely love to have you. we got to take our first quick little break. We'll be right back with just a whole lot more. Plan to motor west. Travel my way. Welcome. I am the great fondue, automobile fortune teller. Sit. I'm hoping you can tell me if I have any big car repairs looming in my future. Ah, I see you among many cars, stopping and going. Yeah, Baton Rouge traffic. Now you're making a left turn. Hands, ten and two. Nice form. Uh, thanks? Now you're stopped at a light. Look, you're just naming things I do every day. I want to know if my car is going to break down anytime soon. If you're hoping to gaze into your car's future, Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. Agco gives you an honest opinion on the maintenance needed to keep your car running and save you money on big repairs in the future. Craig Fondue, you should try another profession instead of a car fortune teller. Well, I was a mechanic at one of those quick lube places, and believe me, I'm actually a better fortune teller. Well, that's scary. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Today, we thought we'd talk a little bit about buying a used car, but as always, any question you may have on your mind, you give us a call. We'll glad to try to address that. Nice, real live answer today. There you go. And, you know, talking about used cars mm-hmm. and, and such as that, we inspect a lot of vehicles for purchase. And one of the things that to me, is definitely a red, Big red flag. flag, and that is a check engine light that is on, mm-hmm. or alternatively, codes that have been cleared and readiness tests not complete. Correct. And the reason that is of such concern to me, a lot of check engine light complaints are not a big deal. They're a vent solenoid or an oxygen sensor, which is probably not a deal breaker for most people. Sure. But there can be things like an intermittent problem with a transmission where when the car drives a certain distance, the pressure gets too high, it goes to a limp mode or it goes to a high pressure mode, and that sets a code. Now, what that code very often indicates is that something is internally failing in the transmission. And a transmission repair is a major, 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 major repair. And the worst thing is if it's not occurring and just on a test drive, this is not going to occur. You have no idea this is going on. Exactly. So when I see a check engine light on on a potential used car, first thing I'm going to do is check the, see what code, the code itself is. and the failure records and what was going on at the time it occurred. By the same token, if I inspect a car and the codes have been cleared recently, in other words, the, the IM tests are incomplete, mm-hmm. which means the codes have been cleared. It has not been drilled enough for them to regenerate. Correct. To me, that's a huge red flag. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean there's a problem. It could be that the car's been sitting on a lot for and a while and the battery died, went dead. Which and will they, lose the codes. That it would lose the codes. It's just a big, big red flag. Sure. So all things the same. I, I have two cars here I'm looking at. They both have about the same mileage, about the same condition, close to the same price. One has 
the check engine light's been cleared and I am tester incomplete. The other one has all that complete and there's no codes in memory. Definitely, I'm going with that one. Sure. <laughs> it's just that you are assuming a lot more risk when you buy a car where the codes have been cleared out and it has not regenerated. Alternatively, you might take it back to the lot or the dealer or the individual who owns the car and say, tell you what, you go drive it, let all the IM tests pass, and then let's come back and review it. Sure. Or you give me some type of a warranty that if if this could, like, a major problem pops up, then you're going to cover it. Well, you know, that would be a different way to maybe try to handle that. Sure. But anytime you see that, again, doesn't mean there is a problem. It's just a much, much higher potential for, for a, problem. a problem. Sure. So that's one of the things that we're always looking for. Another thing is stuff like any water inside of the car. And you really got to know sort of where to look because most people who have had a car that's been flooded or maybe that leaks are pretty good at going in and cleaning that up. But a lot of times they don't think to pull the carpeting up inside the trunk or pull the carpeting up under the seats, and you'll see evidence there. If sure. nothing else, you see rust on the floor under the seats. You know that it's been wet. It's probably been wet at some point in time. And if it's all been cleaned up, it, you might say, well, isn't it all good, well and good? Well, but the potential for problems is much, much higher on a car sure. that's had water in it. Sure. The humidity is really high in this car. It gets into the connections and all the little crevices and stuff under the dash. It starts to corrode connectors and stuff up. Modules start to fail because they've had high humidity in them. It's just the potential of problems is much, much higher on a car that's had water in it than in a car that hasn't. Exactly. Now, that water could be because the car has been flooded. Could be because the air conditioning com- the evaporator, evaporator is raining. Could be the heater core up. is leaking. It could be the windshield's been changed. Sure. And water's getting, it could be the sunroof drains. It could be a taillight was replaced and not sealed, and the water, water running down in. the trunk is coming in through the back. Right. It's just it indicates a potential problem for the new person who's buying the car. Exactly. And the good thing, I guess, about buying a car is there's not only one car out there. There, no, are, there are dozens of cars out there, at least. If you're going to buy a car, you don't want to buy a car with a potential problem. Correct. You're better off to buy a car with limited or no potential problems. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Let's catch our phone lines. We've got Joyce on the line. Good morning, Joyce. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. I have a 99 Honda car. Mm-hmm. I was driving the car, and all of a sudden it stopped, died down. So I called someone to pick me up. And I tried a few minutes later, and it started back, came home. One of the most common things on that car, Joyce, the ignition switch was under a adjustment, policy adjustment, where they were changing them out for free for that exact problem at one time. I don't know if that's still applicable because of the age of the car. It may have gone away, but that was one problem they had with that car in that year range. And what would happen is you'd be driving along, and it was just like you turned the key off. And what would make it worse is if you have a lot of things on your keychain. Like some people have a whole wad of keys or they'll have a, who knows, pictures of the grandkids, all these things on their keys. That makes it even worse. But that is not the only thing by a wide, wide measure. I mean, there are literally hundreds of things that could cause that. But that was a very common thing that caused that problem. One thing you might try is when you're driving it, just kind of take the key and just move it around a little bit. Don't turn it off, but just jiggle it around and see if you can recreate it, if you can make it die. If you can, then that's pretty likely. 
Okay. Well, thank you. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you have a question or a comment about the show, you give us a call. I'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That was under a, a warranty extension. Yeah, a wa- warranty extension at one time. They would change that switch out for you. Now, like I said, a 99, I mean, you figure that's yeah. get, getting pretty old. <laughs> that's, that's almost 20 years old now. Right. So I don't know that they would still do that, but it's not a hugely expensive job. But I remember that was a hard yeah. thing to find. People would just be driving along, all of a sudden the car would die, and then they'd pull off and they'd start, it would start back up. But it was the ignition switch is not like an off-on switch. It's basically 10 or 15 or 20 contacts in there. And if one of them loses contact, it may be the one that energizes the fuel pump. It may be the one that energizes the injectors, right. whatever, the car would die. Right. And because you moved it around and, and turned it again, right. it, it would make receded. contact and, and it would start working again. Mm-hmm. And the problem is sometimes it will really intermit it. They were. It may not do it for weeks, and then all of a sudden it would do it. And it was hard to find. But, you know, the advice I gave Joy about the keys on your sure. ring – I know a lot of times we get folks come in, man, they've got oh, just pounds of yeah, just stuff on a key ring, pounds of things on a key ring. And really, the less you can put on a keychain, the better off you are. It, really, just the key is best. Sure. <laughs> the key and the remote fob, that's the best. If you got a house key and you got a carrot, that's fine. But when you start sticking just piles of stuff on there, all that is suspended and hanging from that key and not only that but every time you hit a bump it jounces up and down it's jerking up and down on a very very soft either aluminum or pot metal or brass cylinder sure and it causes wear and tear in there and the cylinder will wear out and not a cylinder but the locking mechanism can wear out just from all the jouncing around and everything so that's one of those things just a tip you know if you got a whole wad of keys and trinkets and, uh, and stuff stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't want to do that you know i've got mine down i've got just the absolute minimum on mine in fact i've got one key to fits both my vehicles I, I did the same thing the other day yeah, i went ahead and just rekeyed. I, I got two gm vehicles so i rekeyed them both to the same key yeah and that works out even better i got, even I, I got I'm, I'm like on a quest yeah <laughs> and i've got i've got one key that fits every lock in the business every lock at my house that works yeah i just like i said i don't like carrying a bunch of extra keys around I went through my ring the other day. Does this fit? What does this fit? What does this fit? If it didn't find anything, it was gone. That's right. Hey, we'll be right back just a little bit with a whole lot more. So, Madame Babushka, you can tell if my brand new bow and mirror are a good match? Yes. As I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on a couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Meat? Yes, no veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes, I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At AGCO, you can. Take your car to AGCO once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Huh, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Automotive Hour. <laughs> Brian and I really appreciate you listening to us, spending your Saturday morning with us. And any questions you might have, you give us a call. Our number is 291 We always enjoy hearing from you. Sure. 
we'll glad try to get you an answer. Hey, we got Mark online. Good morning, Mark. Hey, Lewis, I got a question. I bring okay. my car into a shop to do just a basic oil change, mm-hmm. and they tell me uh, I need a fuel system flush as well as a coolant system exchange. What's your opinion on both of those, and do I really need it? Well, what year car you got, Mark? 2007. 2000. Has the coolant ever been replaced? No. Well, the uh, coolant is past, way past way due. Past. Yeah, you, you definitely need that done. Don't like the word flush. Anytime I hear the word flush, I automatically think wallet flush. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I, I definitely would want to have somebody who is going to replace the coolant properly, use the proper coolant, because that, Mix I mean, it we, correctly. we could talk for days yeah. just about that one topic. Go to okay. my website and just type in the word coolant. You can find 10 articles on just that topic. We'll give you a lot, lot, lot of insight in that. Now, that being said, Fuel system flush is almost always a wallet flush. I mean, is there any symptom? Is there a problem? Is there a reason they're suggesting this? None whatsoever. He said I might experience better fuel mileage. Or oh, no, that's, running fine. that's hoopla. No, you definitely don't want that. Those are what you call upsells, Mark. And a lot of times what all change places will do is they'll run a loss leader. They basically lose money on the all change just to get you in the door. And then they try to make all these upsells to that's where they make their money at. And one of the favorites is the fuel injection system cleaning or fuel injection flush and all that. Basically, any shop that uses the word flush, I'm very reluctant. Yeah, I, I, I start backing up my, and I look at them with real, real close eyes. I'm not saying they're all bad, but okay. when I hear the word flush, I'm real nervous. I got you. Thank you so much. Okay. Lord. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we got Joe online. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. How are you? Doing great, great. Yeah, I have an F-150. It's an 06 model. Mm-hmm. And the brake light comes on intermittently. Mm-hmm. I have new brakes on calipers, rotors, and it seems to do it more when the weather is warm. you talking about the red brake light? Yes, sir. Okay. Does the, does the yellow light come on also, the ABS light? That does not come on? No, sir. Okay. If the red brake light comes on, it normally is going to indicate about four different things. One is, and the most common, is the fluid level in the master cylinder is slightly low or it thinks it's slightly low. Now, the reason I say it thinks is because that's got a little float and a little magnet in there, and that sensor can go bad, and even though it's full, it can still show to be low. That or the, 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 the float. Good. Right. Well, the, the, well, float will, the float will actually get full, and it'll sink. Right. And because it's closer to the sensor now, it says, hey, well, we're out of fluid. Yeah, it just doesn't and know. turn the light on. The way you can check that, just unplug it. There's right. a little pigtail. If you unplug that and the light stays on, that's not it. Oh, I see. Now, the second thing is it checks the parking brake. And again, doesn't mean the parking brake's on, but if it thinks it's on, if the switch on the parking brake goes bad, same type of a thing. You unplug that switch. If it stays on, then that's not it. Okay? Okay. Third thing is the red brake light also works on the ABS under some functions. Some things on the ABS unit, like if the ABS control module goes out, it may not be able to determine that it's an ABS problem, but it's going to put the red brake light on to let you know there's an electrical failure in the system. May not have any symptoms at all. That's a little more complicated to diagnose. The fourth okay. thing is if both brake lights go out for any reason on a Ford, some of them will turn the red brake light on. In other words, if you've got two burned out bulbs, if you've got two bad sockets, if you've got a bad brake light switch, if for some reason it's the brake light don't, it doesn't see both those continuity on both those brake light circuits, it can turn that light on. Would it do that all the time? No, not necessarily. It could be an intermittent uh, problem. I've seen a turn signal switch cause that. 
and every once in a while it doesn't make contact and would throw the red brake light on and the rest of the time it would work. Now, brake light switch, too, is not an on-off switch. It's got five or six sets of contacts in there. So it may even have brake lights, but it may think it doesn't have brake lights because the part that reports to the computer may not be good. I see. See, what you can watch on that is like if your cruise control every once in a while quits working. You know, that would be kind of an indication of something like that. Right, if the cruise doesn't work when the light's on. Any one of those four things can make the red brake light come on, even though none of them really have anything to do with the brakes. Right, okay. That's, that's the, the things that, that that system checks. Okay, well, I know where to start searching. <laughs> okay. Thanks, I appreciate it. All right, Jerry. All right. Thanks, man. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number, and we're going to phone lines with James. Good morning, James. Hey, James. Oh, excuse me. Lewis. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, guys. Hey, Lewis. I have a similar problem to your last call, I guess. Mm-hmm. I got a 2010 Tundra, mm-hmm. 5.7 liter, and I was coming back from Tennessee the other day, and my ABS brake, uh, my ABS light came on, mm-hmm. the VCS light came on, right. and the traction control came on. And I stopped and popped the hood and you know, just looked around. All that yeah. I see wrong was a uh, battery cable was a little loose. Yeah. So you I took it off, cleaned it. Probably won't out. see anything on there, James. That is That thing has a pretty sophisticated trash control system. I can tell you the most common failure in the system is the yaw sensor is either bad or out of calibration. There's a sensor that tells the vehicle when it's moving sideways, which makes it go into the trash control mode. And that sensor, if you have like a front end alignment done and they don't recalibrate that, it can change the thrust angle and make it read off. Sometimes they just start reading off and sometimes they go bad. Now, that's not the only thing that can cause that. You know, the way that's diagnosed, you go into the chassis module with a special, like a Toyota scan tool, and it's going to have a code in memory tells you what caused the problem. And there's probably about a hundred different codes that can set. I mean, stuff like the pressure in the ABS system took too long to build. The switch on the system that reports the pressure can be bad. One of the wheel speed sensors could be going bad. I mean, on and on and on and on and on things that can cause that. But the most common thing is that yaw sensor is either out of adjustment or bad. Okay, so I did have a an alignment a little while back. But I guess maybe I should try a different shop and see if that works. If proper alignment on it would it would it cure it cure the problem no 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 the alignment see if the, the alignment was done right the alignment was done but it changes the thrust angle of the vehicle it may have needed to be changed but the yaw sensor didn't see that so really and truly a sophisticated shop now when they do an alignment they're going to also reset that yaw sensor a lot of shops hadn't really caught on to that Okay, so if the problem is the yaw sensor, it'll have uh, a, it'll have an error message. We go in the chassis module, and if it says yaw sensor off range, I can read it. And let's say it's reading three degrees left when I'm going straight. Well, I know that's the problem. Then I recalibrate it. If it's reading oh, okay. thirty degrees off, then I know it's bad. Oh, okay, I got you. I got you. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate your help. All right, sir. Thank you. All right. All right. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, and we've got James again. Good morning, James. Good morning, sir. How you doing? This doing morning? great. Doing great. First off, I enjoy your show. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. All right, working on my daughter's vehicle. She mm-hmm. got a 2012 Wrangler 3.6L, and it's got a misfire on number four. I swapped the um, coil packs over, changed the spark plug, and, it's, and I still got it. I checked the compression, got 130 pounds of compression. What do you got in the other holes? I did not check that. Okay. Need to check all of them right. because 130 might be pretty low on a four, on that little engine. You know, if the other one's the, up for 175, 180, right. 130 is definitely a problem. Right. If you got 130 and they're all around 130, then, then that's likely not it. But 130 seems real low. 
because normally they run 175 to 180. If that is the case, then you need to look and see why that compression is low. If the compression is about the same on all the other holes, you might try swapping the injectors. And if that's not it, it's probably going to be out of your range. You're going to need to bring it to somebody. You could have something like one of the oh the the pulse to the injectors not there or you know that kind of stuff. But without a lab scope, that's going to be awful hard to find. Is that the only code that's in it, or does it have any other codes? No, that's the only code. Just the okay, old, just the yeah. misfire code. PO four hundred. Yeah. PO three hundred four, right? Yeah, three three hundred four. Yeah, but I thought about injectors after I put it all back together. Right, so, right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I would try first off to do a compression test. Take all the plugs out, and you want to be kind of careful. Block the throttle open if you can, and when you crank it, crank it about the same number of turns each cylinder. And you might try each cylinder two times and take an average reading. And if you go to my website, I got an article, just type compression test in the little search bar. Because a lot of people do a compression test one way and other people do a different way. You'll get different results. But you have all of them around 175, 180, and one's at 130. That's, that's definitely a problem. Okay, yeah, because when I checked the compression, you know, it actually cranked up for a second. I killed it. So, I mean, you know, I had all the throttle body off of it and all that. Yeah. Okay. All right, it's got fifty-one thousand miles on it, so I'm figuring it motor train ought to be on the warranty. Maybe, maybe I'm not sure. Depending uh, on what warranty you you got yeah. when you bought it, some of them have a hundred thousand miles, some of them have sixty, some of them you know, Chrysler maybe. depends on. A lot of times they offer a low rate of interest or a longer warranty. Right. I mean, you'd have to call any dealer and give them the VIN number, and they could tell you what warranty was selected at the time it was purchased. And many times you don't even realize what you get, and you. You know, they just use so many different plans on Chrysler's. All right. Well, I appreciate it, sir. All right. And like, so, you know, probably next weekend I'll tear it back down. And, <laughs> you know, and. Yeah, and if the compression's well, good, try swapping those injectors. I've seen bad injectors calls that also. Yeah. I'll, look, I wouldn't run it in the meantime, though. Yeah, not too much because you can end up with a bad catalytic converter right. with that misfire. I appreciate it, sir. All right. All right, All right James. Thanks, man. Right, thank you. Bye bye. All right. We're going to take our last little break and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Gotta run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah, a general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar. And I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul? Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie. <laughs> me my car into agco for a general inspection keep your car on the road longer schedule your general inspection today at agco automotive agco it's the place to go hey welcome back to the final segment of the automotive hour i'm your host lewis aldersan president of agco automotive got mr brian terry our lead tech right here by my side hey between two us we'll try to answer any questions you may have talking a little bit about buying used cars today but anything you may have on your mind we'll be glad to entertain that's it and we're here for another few minutes so you can get a live answer there you go but if you happen to miss your opportunity today you can always get your questions answered at the website which is agcoauto.com that is a-g-c-o-a-u-t-o.com there's a contact bar on each and every page just click the button and fill out the little form that pops up and send it on in that's right get you right straight to us just as easy 
And a new car purchase or a used car purchase or whatever can often become an emotional thing. A lot of times it starts out that way. Yeah. You want a new car. You want a new car. And that's all well and good. And for the person who wants a red BMW convertible, that's great. If that's going to make you happy, God bless you. If you got the money, go buy it. Sure. Forget everything we're saying because none of this is going to apply to you. Correct. This information is on the person who wants a reliable car at a reasonable price, and that's their decision. It's a non-emotional thing. They're looking for transportation from point Point, A to point B. Correct. Reliable transportation. And I totally get the fact that if you want something, you want it. Oh, yeah. And if you got the money, go buy it. Got nothing against it. Yeah, nothing against that. It's just not the advice we're giving. And probably the best thing you can do before you buy a car, before you ever go to the lot, before you start looking, because if you ever read – the psychology of a purchase it starts out you look and you gather information and you do these different things and you go through a set process and you end up with a product Mm -hmm. well the thing you want to do is sit down and list out either you yourself or you and your wife if you're married or whatever sit down and list out what is important to you sure is fuel mileage a major concern yes or no well if fuel mileage is not a concern then you really don't need to go look at high, high mileage vehicles mm-hmm. because for the most part, a high, high mileage vehicle is going to be small. It's going to be cramped. It's not going to have a lot of load carrying capacity. By the same token, if pulling your travel trailer is a big, big concern to you, you. You don't want to go look at Ford Escort. Yeah. You just know, no use to even look at that or even a half ton truck. Sure. You, know, you need something heavier for that purpose. So you start out with what it is it you want to do. Then you start to look, okay, are there certain models within this criteria that give more reliable service than others? What are the features I need? In other words, these are got to have. Right. I've got to have this. I've got to have this. I've got to have this. These are nice. Well, if it had that, that would be nice. If it had this, that would be nice. These are I don't want. Now, once you make up that list, it's going to be fairly easy to select a car that meets those criteria. Once you get that car picked out of that those cars maybe you narrow it down to two different vehicles three different vehicles at most because buying a car can take a lot of time and a lot of effort and if you just go to a lot looking for quote a car you're going to become so overwhelmed sure you're probably going to end up with something that really doesn't meet your needs and you're probably going to end up paying way more money for it than you need it to Mm -hmm. and you may get something that doesn't do what you want to do so you want to make the decision these are the things i gotta have now if I want a car that has backup cameras on it, that's a really important thing to me. No use to look at cars that don't have it. Mm-hmm. Because you can add a lot of stuff to cars, but it is generally way more expensive, far less reliable to start adding stuff than it is just to buy the car you want. With the, the equipment you already Yeah, I had a gentleman want. call me one time, and he said, can I convert a pickup truck to four-wheel drive? And... I said, with well, enough time and money, yeah. Enough time and money, anything can be done, but why didn't you just buy a truck with four? Well, I got a good deal on this truck. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not a good deal if it doesn't it's, do what you want to do. <laughs> exactly. If you want a four-wheel drive truck and you need a four-wheel drive truck, it's not a good deal to buy a two-wheel drive truck. Correct. Because it's going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars to try to convert that over, and it's still not going to be as good because it doesn't have all the little idiosyncrasies that the four-wheel drive has built into it. So you want to buy the car that you need. And again, wants and emotions really will generally lead you wrong. Sure. You know, so that's the, the biggest thing. Once you find the car that it is you want, put that, write it on, on a notepad, stick it in your pocket. Yep. And when you go to the lot, 
just look at those cars. And inevitably, the salesman said, well, let me show you this. It's got this, it's got this, it's got And that's when they get you off on a tangent, and they sell you way more than you need. You reach just in your pull pocket. pull a little note out and look at it and say, no. no. <laughs> this is what I'm after. Yeah. In fact, I got a friend of mine, Earl Zimmer, and Zimmer says what he does when he's making a decision. He puts what he wants on one side. On the other side, he writes no in great big old letters. <laughs> he just keeps looking at it. Yeah. No, no, no. It just reminds him you know, to, to do it that way. But you got to be very careful because you got to remember the guys in these car lots make their living and most of them are commission sales they make their living selling stuff the bigger stuff the more expensive stuff they sell the more money they make so they may advertise this little stripped down model for this much money but they're going to try to switch you over to something that's bigger got it costs more. more and the next thing when you're buying a car be it used or new the first thing a lot of them are going to want to know how much can you spend a month sure well not, no your business how much i can spend a month we're looking at a car right now we're not talking financing because when they get you off on this monthly payment thing they're going to just extend the period out or you could afford to get this car here well yeah yeah i could have wanted to pay on it for seven years exactly <laughs> which i don't but the best thing is to go ahead and arrange your financing with front, before a reliable source other than the car lot and get that all arranged beforehand. Sure. You know how much you, you're going to go in and spend. You know how much it's going to cost you a month before you even go look at a car. Right. You've already qualified and you know what you're looking for. So you got the car picked out. You got the financing done. Now all you do is find a car to meet those Correct. needs. And if you to get to the dealership or whatever, and let's say they have some kind of special 0% financing, you can look at all that in relation to what you've already got figured out, and you can see if it's really a better deal or not. Sure. And if it is, then great. You can always switch over to that. All right. But you need to have all that arranged before you start looking at cars, because once you go out there and you start looking at these cars... Well, and it gets overwhelming. It does. It will definitely it really does. overwhelm you very, very quickly. Now, I guess the final piece of advice before you buy any used car is to have it inspected by a professional. And, you know, I would like to include new car with that also. Yeah, really, because it's not I have, a bad idea. I have seen brand new cars not even make it off the lot. You know, you walk through the, the service department, mm-hmm. and there's 15 trucks on the, the racks with the transmissions out. Right. I bought a brand-new Chevy pickup truck back in 1977, and I noticed the front fender had been painted on uh-huh. it. And I ordered the truck, and when it came in, the fender had been repainted. I said, well, why has this fender been painted? Oh, well, they do that sometimes at the factory. I said, no, no. don't give me that. I said, this has got masking marks on, right. the, on the antenna. The antenna wasn't in it when they, when they did this at the factory. And I ended up buying the truck anyway because it wasn't that big of an issue to me. But it was just this truck had sure. the fender had been damaged in transport or whatever, and they had put it on and, and painted it. But, yeah, brand-new vehicles, just because it's new doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be 100% problem-free. Exactly. I've seen them get backed into, into in a lot, damaged on the transport truck, damage coming off the transport truck, damage going to PDI. Right. You know, all kinds of things. All kinds of things can happen to can an automobile. Happen. Even have just a bad motor sure. from the factory, they crank it up during service and find out it's got a knocking noise, take it out and change the motor out. Sure. Well, that goes right out to the new car line. It, it doesn't show up anywhere, but it really, you know, if it was put in there properly, that's that's one thing. But if the guy working on it maybe wasn't top tech and he didn't put something back together right. So, yeah, even on a new car, it wouldn't sure. be a bad idea. But on a used car, I Especially think it's absolutely imperative. 
And if you go to our website and just type in used cars, there's a checklist of things you can check. There's several articles with pictures showing you how to spot a wrecked car, Mm -hmm. things like that. A lot of things you can do yourself, and you can narrow it down to a short list because you don't want to bring every car you look at into and pay money to have checked. Right. You can do some things to narrow it down to a short list. But when you get it down, hey, this is the car I'm going to buy, have a professional look at that car. Before any paperwork or purchase is done. Right. Because once you've bought the car, I don't care what they say, it's a lot less likely to get them to do what you hope they'll do well, it's a lot once e- they've got your money. It's a lot easier to bring the car back to them and say, no, this is not the car I want before you buy it. Well, yeah, that or say, well, yes, this is the car I want. However, it's, it's got, got this, 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 and this. If you will correct these things, sure, I will buy the car. Or if you'll pay me this much money to have these things corrected, I will buy the car. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a number of ways depending... I guess one of the things that I will just absolutely never understand, and I've had this happen to me several times over the years, and that's why someone brings a car in and has us inspect it. Right. And I will tell them, do not buy this car. Right. This is not the car you want. This is not a good car. The the air conditioner is about 20 degrees warmer than it should be. The codes have been cleared on it. The readiness tests are not complete. The transmission fluid is very dark, and the transmission feels like it's slipping. Mm -hmm. This is not the car. Oh, but it's a good deal. It is not a good deal. No, it's if it not. needs an air conditioner and a transmission. Yeah, you just listed off about six grand, eight yeah. grand worth of repairs it's going to need shortly. Whatever. I mean, and I've had people buy the car oh, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Now, if that's the case, if you are in love with this car, then just save your money. Don't even get inspected. Just go just buy go it. Just go buy it. If you are a normal person who thinks rationally, and I would highly advise you to have the car inspected, listen to what the guy inspecting the car says. Sure. He has no reason to tell you one way or the other. Right. He's just doing a service for you. He's doing a service. He's getting paid for his time. He's going to give you an honest evaluation. But this is a guy who looks at cars all day long. This guy knows a whole lot about repairs. If he spots something and says, don't fix it. Don't buy it. Yeah, don't buy it. Then that is probably really good advice for you to take. You, know, you don't want to get, and sometimes people just kind of fall in love with a car. Well, I've always wanted a little yellow Volkswagen Beetle. Okay. Well, and, well, and if you got it for $1,000 and it's a $20,000 vehicle, maybe. That, maybe. Maybe. But, but how much is your time worth to have all the repairs done? Yeah. And if you can find one and even pay a little bit more for it that does not need any repair, you're way better off. You're way better off because you don't have your time invested. You don't have to worry about all the repairs made properly. Are there other implications, like you mentioned with the misfire? Okay, mm-hmm. you got a misfire, you fix the misfire, but then three months later, the catalytic converter goes bad because all that fuel from that misfire went to the catalytic converter. Right. All these sorts of things that can kind of retroactively go into a problem car. Sure. You know, the water leaking into the car. Well, yeah, they fixed the water leak, but now you've got mildew in the car. Growing under the carpet that nobody sees until it's too late and it starts smelling. Or the computers start going out because uh, so all the connections are corroded and, and all messed up. So that's that's the kind of things you need to, to be aware of yeah. when you start after a used car. That's right, before you make the purchase. Correct. I see we're just about out of time. We'll start winding on up. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written review, and fill it out for us. There you go. Give us a written review to move us up in the ranking so more people can hear us. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.